So this morning, um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and the title of today's message is The Free Gift, The Free Gift. Um, when you're out shopping, I if you guys have gone to the mall or anything, I'm trying to stay as far away from the mall as humanly possible, um, but if you were offered a free gift, uh, would you take it? Um, would you take it? Usually, you know, if we're out there and someone offers us something free, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever uh, walked in New York City. Um, it, it happened in D.C., so I'm sure it happens in every city. There's guys who hand out flyers. They hand it out, you know, hey, here you go, something free, something free. And you go, no, 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 I don't want it. You're, you know, you're selling me something, trying to get me to go to your establishment, um, good or bad. Um, but usually it has some cheap connotation. You know, have this free gift. And when they give you a free gift, it's not something, you know, it's not an iPhone. Um, it's usually something chintzy or cheap or something, um, you know, if you ever gone to a car show, they give you a, a big bag and you get stuff at the different booths, but it's all stuff with their logo on it just to try and get you to think about their brand and get you to go home and want to use, you know, you're using the pen and you think, oh, maybe I will go buy something there now. Um, the free gift really has strings attached to it. Um, I mean, maybe sometimes they give you something free, uh, that's out there, um, uh, but really, it's, it's got some ulterior motive. Uh, but maybe you have this saying, maybe you don't. I have a saying that if it's free, it's for me. That's not always the case. I mean, I texted you guys this week about a filing cabinet, see if anybody wanted it. It was free. I thought it was for me. I'm using it for some church stuff now, but boy, it's heavy, and I just I don't want it. So, <laughs> you know, when we move, I'll probably, you know, take a hand truck and take it to the dump. Uh, but that's, I think, sometimes the thing we think about when it comes to free gifts, at least in... Um, you know, in our society and the connotations that we're used to. Uh, but today, hopefully, we'll think about uh, a free gift in a little bit different uh, light. But again, you know, being it's Christmas this Friday, Christmas Eve on Thursday. We've, some people shop all year. Some people shop Christmas Eve. Um, I used to be the guy running around on Christmas Eve, and now it's just I'm the guy running around on Amazon. Um, but what is Christmas? Is it Santa Claus? I think someone said to my wife while they were, she was out with the kids at the store the other day about Santa Claus, and the kids were like, who? <laughs> um, maybe it's that generic holiday, you know, that generic holiday that we all celebrate this week. Have a happy holiday. Uh, it's Christmas, <laughs> you know. Hanukkah started already, I believe. Um, again, that's fine. Do you want to celebrate something else? That's up to you, but I'm celebrating Christmas. I think it's even funny that they say generic holiday to try and get away from the holiness of Christmas. But what is the word holiday? It means a holy day, a holy day. Um, is Christmas just shopping? Is it just getting? Is it just giving even? I know a lot of times we have this pressure this time of year, whether we realize it or not, uh, that we need to buy everyone everything. I think it's great. If you can afford to get gifts or give gifts, that's fantastic. But sometimes people put our, we put ourselves in huge amounts of debt um, uh, that we can't sustain to, to buy a lot of gifts. And, and, you know, that's between you and the Lord. But I, I, I'm really trying these past couple of years and hopefully in the future to not, to not do that, to be smarter about my purchases, to buy gifts and not feel like I have to buy something for everybody, even though I'd want to give, be able to give something for everyone. And I wish I could give something to everyone. Sometimes it's just not possible. And I think that when we get in that mindset of, I have to give, I have to give, I have to give is when uh, we get into trouble. I know my wife's side of the family does um, a thing. It's not white elephant, but basically, oh, it's kind of like a secret Santa where everyone picks a name out of the hat and they all get together. And then you spend a certain amount of money on one person. And then you have to try and guess who that person is before you can open your gifts. And that's a real fun way to do it. Um, at work, we had uh, like a steal a gift where you open it and everyone brings in a gift and you all steal it. 
<laughs> it got really rough at the end. Uh, <laughs> but it was funny. It was funny. Um, but is Christmas just family? You know, I heard on a radio call-in show the other day, this caller was uh, kind of upset. You know, she was talking about she's going to church in the morning and then going to church in the evening. And someone in her family was upset that she was sandwiching her family Christmas party between going to church two times in one day. And, you know, what are your priorities? Isn't family your priority? You know, hey, yeah, family is priority, of course. But Jesus made us family on um, Christmas. Maybe you guys have uh, Christmas traditions uh, growing up or uh, in your house now. Um, I mean, one of them we have is a tree. I mean, why do we cut down a tree or go to Home Depot and get a tree and put it in our house? I don't think anyone can really answer other than uh, this is Christmas, right? Um, you know, maybe it was a pagan ritual at one point, and perhaps you don't do that for that reason. Uh, but to me, it's a tree, and I can remember Jesus, and I can come up with reasons. But to me, that's just Christmas. It doesn't have any other meaning to it uh, than that. It's just Christmas, and uh, what Christmas, it's something to remember Christmas by. But growing up, we had blueberry muffins in the morning and cinnamon buns. Uh, my wife now has taken all that tradition, you know, probably by force. I'm like, are you going to make blueberry muffins on Christmas in the morning? I had them every year when I was growing up. <laughs> um, you know, getting up early when you were a little kid and make, maybe waking up your older siblings and they would not wake up and you'd have to go and wait for the whole family to wake up. Uh, maybe you open gifts on Christmas Eve. Maybe you open one gift Christmas Eve and then you open them up on Christmas. I don't know. Um, maybe you do stockings and you actually put gifts in the stockings. Uh, it got to a point where on Christmas morning in my family uh, growing up, my mom would put toys and stuff in our stockings. But by the time we were in high school, it was like deodorant, toothpaste, <laughs> toothbrushes, socks, stuff like that. And, you know, you get out, it would be a pink toothbrush. Go, oh, Heather, it's yours. And she would get something that was like, guys, deodorant. Here you go, Thomas. You know, <laughs> it turned into this whole family tradition of my mom would get us these uh, things, that, quote unquote, that we needed. I guess she thought we, our breath was bad and we smelled a little bit, but. Probably true. Maybe ornaments or Christmas trees or Christmas lights. Manger scenes even. You know, when my wife and I were first married and we set up uh, one of our first manger scenes, I kind of joked and I said, you need to put the, the wise men on the other side of the house because they're not there yet. It'll be two or three years before the wise men get there. You know, because they, they, the they come to the area. Uh, king Herod's like, hey, who are you guys seeking? They said, hey, we saw a star. We're looking for a king. And he goes, oh, about how long have you been looking? And tell me when you find him. And he finds out that it's been a couple of years. And then what does Herod do? He wants to kill all the boys who are like 2-1 under, I believe. It's, you know, so the picture we have is not always the most accurate picture. Um, you know, we have him on a bunch of fluffy snow. I don't know if there was fluffy snow in Jerusalem. You know, he was probably born September, October, based on some studies. You know, I was talking about with a, a friend at work the other day. Um, and he even looked it up. And I thought it was great. You know, maybe there's a story of your birth or of my birth, you know, my wife's birth on Thanksgiving and it was a storm and they couldn't get to the hospital they wanted to get to. So she was born in New York and she lived in New Jersey and all these different things. You know, the stories of my daughter's birth and my son's birth. Um, but really, when it comes to Christmas, do we just go about the motions? Do we just go about the motions? And I think, you know, Christmas is a great season. Um, you know, Fred, you were sharing that Christmas in the Philippines is like months long and it's this whole ordeal, and I think that that's, that's way better than some of the things we do here. But is it just emotion? Is it just, oh, I'm going to go get the tree on this date. We're going to put the lights on this date. Day after Christmas, it's coming down. Believe you me, it's coming down. No, or is it, you know, it's middle of March, and you still got the lights up. I don't know. Um, but do we just, again, do these things for the motions? Are we buying things just to go through the motions? Are we just getting up and going about, even going to church and, and uh, giving out Christmas cards um, just for the motions? But I hope that this Christmas that, you know, I know we know in this room the real story, 
But I hope that we really consider it this year. I hope that I really consider it as well this year. Again, like I've been saying, it's really been hard for me to get into that Christmas spirit this year. I don't know what it is. Maybe because it's been 70 degrees. It's not 70 degrees today, but maybe because it is so warm and balmy. And I'm fine with that. I get used to living in uh, southern weather. But this morning, I hope that we can consider it. And, and once again, in prayer, Lord, we pray that you would help us to truly consider it and, and take away from these scriptures, God, what you would show us and teach us and correct us. And, and God, if we've been overextending ourselves for any other reason but you, God, I pray that you rein us back in and uh, help us, Lord, to really show uh, the meaning of Christmas to those around us by loving them and, and sharing uh, the, the real gift. And that's you, Lord, with them. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's turn to Luke in your Bibles, uh, chapter 1. And we're hopefully going to get through two chapters of Luke, or most of chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's a couple things I'm going to skip, and we're going to touch some other areas of Scripture. But a lot of it is just going to be reading the Scripture to hear what uh, uh, Luke has to say. And if you've been with us for Acts, we know that he's the same writer as Acts. He's Dr. Luke, and really Acts is part 2 of Luke. But let's look at the first couple of verses here in Luke chapter 1. Verse 1 says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from, excuse me, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things, which you are instructed. And we'll stop there. You know, many have taken in hand uh, the things of Jesus from his birth to his death and resurrection. There's several Gospels written. Um, but even today, that there are many narratives about the first Christmas. Um, you know, like uh, Mia has these Superbook videos, and she's watching about the first Christmas. And they put a little bit of spin on it, and, um, you know, a good spin to turn it into a, a, a children's cartoon that they can get a lesson from. Um, but there's many tales about what Christmas really is these days, you know. Who Santa is, who Saint Nick is, all these different ideas, even about Jesus and the way things happen, like we talk about with the manger, and it's not entirely accurate. But he says here that uh, he wants it to be orderly and with certainty because he wants people to know the truth of the birth of Jesus, the truth of the life of Jesus, the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Luke being a smart man, a doctor, and knowing these things from the first-hand accounts and from experiencing them in his own life, he wanted to make sure that these things were written down, that everyone might know with certainty the truth of the gospel, that it's not just a children's story. It's not just um, a tradition. Uh, like we talked about a few weeks ago, why do you cut off the ends of the roast? I don't know, my grandmother did it. Why did she do it? And so on and so forth. It turns out just a small pan, you know. Why do we do the things that we do? Well, Luke wants us to know uh, that there is a truth to the Christmas story. And you know, we don't really have to be the ones who are there, but we, we can know with certainty what happened, and we can share that it did happen, that it wasn't just um, a myth or a fable, but that 2,000-some-odd years ago, Jesus was born uh, in a manger and in a stable. Let's go on, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were well advanced in years. And we'll stop there again. You know, there had been no word of God for hundreds of years since the book of Malachi. You're either there's this 400 or so year drought of no word of God through the prophets, that they had begun to go through the motions for centuries. 
that their parents went through the motions, the priests went through the motions, they kept going and they kept offering, but there was no fresh word of God. There was no prophet um, among them. Um, you know, maybe the uh, people consider the book of Maccabees to be a word of God in this period. It, you know, it's not really considered canon. There's no uh, word specifically from God. It's more of a historical book, uh, maybe more of a political thriller. Um, but really, there's no word of God here from Malachi. You know, and I ask, imagine if we have never heard from God in church. I mean, I hope that you hear from God when we meet together in our study. I hope that on Thursdays, you guys are getting the word of God, and I'm sure you are. But I hope that more than getting it, you're hearing from God himself. But imagine if you never did. Imagine if you went to church your entire life, and you never got a fresh word directly from the Lord. Imagine if your parents never did. Imagine if their parents never did. And so on and so forth for 400 years. That's pretty dry. That's a pretty long time there pretty long time that's kind of scary that they were going through the motions for this long and they were missing out on what the scriptures were saying was just about to happen i mean 400 years before the birth of jesus they've been waiting all of history and now they're about to miss out that's that's kind of a big deal but who else does the bible call righteous you know we see guys like noah noah was righteous in god's eyes and god saved him and yet what does god say here uh through luke uh, about uh this priest um and his wife he says that they were righteous, that they were righteous. And you know, Mia's middle name is Elizabeth. It's both after my grandmother, but it's also after Elizabeth here in the Bible, that this woman sought after God. And, and she doesn't bear birth to Jesus. She bears birth, as we'll see in a little bit, to the cousin of Jesus. And we're going to skip verses 8 through 25. It really talks about Zacharias in the temple when he goes in there. And then what happens? We get a fresh word of God that there is a Messiah coming and that you're going to have a son that's going to prepare the way for him. Um, you know, that in this temple of the Lord, Zacharias, when he does hear the word of God, straight to his face with an angel, he doesn't quite believe it. He goes, well, uh, how am I supposed to know that this is true? And the angel goes, come on, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I'm giving you a message. You're going to be mute until the kid is born. Uh, but you know what? I would be afraid too. I would be afraid too. But again, we know that God wants to bring people to repentance and to his son, Jesus. So what does he do? He, he prophesies the birth of this boy, John the Baptist, who will get and prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of Jesus, like we've been seeing in the book of Acts. But, you know, birth announcements are very important. They're very important. You know, when, when our daughter was born up before that, you know, we were sending out text messages and calls and telling people, uh, our family to come to the hospital and Mia was in, Ashley was in labor with Mia for almost 30 hours or so and no baby they kept saying the baby's coming no baby my family's in the hospital like all night for hours and hours just waiting for this baby to come um, and we were we were all very excited but when we had her it was like yeah this is awesome you know we want to announce her and we want to put her name up in lights so to speak but it was a blessing back then and this was a birth announcement saying that someone very special is coming he's not the messiah but the Messiah is coming soon because if he's being born, um, you know, the Messiah is right around the corner. But let's pick it up in verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel uh, Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw this, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the throne uh, the lord god excuse me will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom there uh, will be no end uh, then mary said to the angel how can this be since i do not know a man and the angel answered and said to her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore also, uh, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for uh, her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary believed the message right away. <laughs> Zacharias didn't quite believe it. Mary believed it. But we see that her... Uh, I guess it's her, her aunt or her cousin, um, has John the Baptist. And she's six months pregnant at this time. And uh, when the birth announcement is given to Mary about Jesus. But it says that he appeared in a city to a virgin betrothed to a man of the house of David. And I think it's great that it's, it's so specific that there was this city, just like we live in a city. And in the city, just like we live in, there is a woman who is engaged to be married. A young woman who is engaged to be married to a young man. And this young man happened to be the house of David. In fact, both Mary and both Joseph both come through the lineage of David, albeit through different lines, but they both can trace back uh, their lineage to David. Um, but we see that this birth announcement, this virgin birth, was prophesied in Isaiah uh, 7.14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That means God with us or with us is God that this birth announcement was prophesied in Isaiah. Not only is God beginning to speak again in the temple through the priests, but now he's beginning to show up and give birth announcements through this angel to uh, these women here that man, something is about to happen. Something very big is about to happen. This promise that they've been waiting for is about to be fulfilled. Uh, but you know, it says that she was troubled. She was troubled. You know, certain denominations, certain quote-unquote faiths will make out Mary to be someone more than she is, this uh, co-redemptrix or this person that is super holy. But we see that she was troubled. She goes, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just a young girl who's engaged and, you know, maybe we're going to have a small wedding. We don't even know how many people are going to fit or how many people we can afford yet. And, and yet you want me to bear the Son of God? You know, who am I? But it says that she found favor in God's sight. And that's what being holy is. That's what being favored is. That's what being righteous is, is that God looks in you and says, you know who you are. You know who I am. And I love you. You know, you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Of course, I'm going to give you these things. And God would say that to each one of us. I have many great things to give you. I have crazy things and wonderful things I want to do through you, such as bring my son into the world. But man, we just need to, to realize who God is and, and be willing to, uh, to be available to him. I mean, this, this girl's life, as we know, kind of gets ruined. You know, people begin to think that, well, maybe she and Joseph weren't exactly faithful, weren't exactly righteous. Maybe she was with someone else. Maybe she was going to lose her husband. You know, she didn't say any of this. She said, this is great. Thank you, Lord. I would love to be the mother of your son. And again, Mary isn't the focus of the message that Jesus is. You know, she's just the messenger bringing God's word into the world. And I think that's an awesome picture. Just like we are God's messengers, we bring God's word into the world. Albeit, we do it uh, in spiritual ways and physical ways through speaking. But she did it physically where that little baby in her womb for those nine months who she gives birth to and raises and nurses and watches grow up is the son of God. I mean, I think that's awesome. 
You know, we're singing before these songs. I'm holding my son, Jacob. I'm going, man, I don't know how you did this, Lord. I don't know how you could give your son. And, um, you know, but again, how amazing it would be to know that your son is your son, but he's also um, uh, the son of God. But his name, Jesus, means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Um, and it says, uh, verse 32, that he will be great. He will be great. You know, Jesus is the greatest figure in our history. We can um, try and attribute greatness to a lot of people in, in history, whether they be public figures or people in our family or whatever the case may be, but they all come and go. And I have some quotes here that I want to read. They've been attributed to uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. You know, I'm no historian. I can't totally attribute them to him. I wasn't there, but this is, I mean, take it with maybe a grain of salt, but let's listen to what uh, perhaps he said about Jesus. And he says, the nature of Christ's existence is mysterious, I admit, but this mystery meets the wants of man. Reject it in the world as an explicable riddle. Believe it in the history of our race is satisfactorily explained. You know, this man who is a conqueror and a king and someone very great in history, who may or may not have been a believer, they say, wasn't a very religious man, but he did have um, an interesting view about our Lord. He says also that I know men and I tell you that Jesus is not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what do we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire on love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. He also says, um, I see in uh, Lycurgus, Numa, and Muhammad only legislators who, having the first rank in the state, have sought the best solution of the social problem, but I see nothing there which reveals divinity. Nothing announces them divine. That these men who are powerful and are followers and are kings, they still, there's no divinity about them. On the contrary, there are numerous resemblances between them and myself, he says, foibles and errors which ally them to me and to humanity. It is not so with Christ. Everything in him astonishes me. His spirit overawes me and his will confounds me. Besides him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly a being by himself. I think that's an awesome statement. His ideals and his sentiments, the truth which he announces, his manner of convincing, are not explained either by human organization or by the nature of things. His birth and the history of his life, the prof uh, fr profundity of his doctrine, which grapples the mightiest difficulties, and which is one of these difficulties, the most admirable solution, his gospel, his apparition, his empire, you know, his march across the ages and realms. He's saying, I've only marched across continents. I've only marched across countries. But Jesus has marched across all of time. Um, he goes on later. He says, his religion is a revelation from an intelligence which certainly is not a man. There is a profound originality which has created a series of maxims before unknown. Jesus borrowed nothing from our sciences. One can absolutely find nowhere but in him alone the imitation or the example of his life. Even this man, if these quotes are half true, he realized that, man, Jesus had way more power than I do. Whether he ever bowed to the Lord, I don't know. But he, you know, a lot of these great men study other great men in history. And Jesus is the greatest man in all of history. But we see several miracles here that this barren woman, John the Baptist's mom, was barren and she conceived very much like Abraham and Sarah. When, when she conceived, she was old. Um, and the same forth, this uh, virgin conceives. 
that God is his father, and that way sin isn't passed on. We can get into all study and, uh, and the beliefs and the teaching of the scriptures, but really the idea that the, the sin is passed on through the man, that the reason why it had to be a virgin birth, well, one, <laughs> a guy's not going to give birth, so a woman's going to give birth, but the father needs to be God the father, that there would be no sin in this child. You know that he's 100% a person, but also 100% God. And we're going to get a little scientific here for a minute, but there's, you know, this number is kind of debatable, but there's about 354 or so prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, And there's this book uh, called Science Speaks by Peter W. Stoner. Perhaps you've heard of it, but I'm going to do a couple quotes out of it because this is one of my favorite um, examples and the reality and the improbability of any other reality than Jesus being God. Um, you know, the odds of, of you're being injured by a lightning strike, apparently, on any given day are only uh, 1 in 250 million. So maybe one person in America is going to be struck by lightning today. Um, and it probably won't be you or me. It's pretty nice out. It's kind of cold. I don't see any thunderstorms. Maybe on Christmas when that warm weather comes in, there'll be a thunderstorm. I don't know. This one, I don't know how accurate this is. I would think this number might be even higher. But it says, odds that the average citizen of Washington, D.C. will get plugged, stabbed, poisoned, or bludgeoned to death in the course of a year, are only one in 1,681. I think that number may or may not be higher uh, in these days and age. But listen to this. Listen to this. This is, this is the clincher here. There's three different levels where I'm going to take you through. But the odds of one man in history fulfilling eight of the 60 major prophecies of Jesus. So we just said there's at least 354 prophecies concerning Jesus that he fulfills. We're going to say only eight of maybe the 60 major ones. So only eight. You know, only eight things. You have two hands, take away two fingers, eight prophecies. Uh, and, and the odds of only one man throughout all of history fulfilling these are one in 10 to the 17th. That is, uh, that is one with 17 zeros. So I don't know what the number is. It's uh, Google is 100 zeros, but it's one with uh, 17 zeros. So now the, the picture of this, you know, none of us can really picture that. We can write it down, but it still doesn't really make much difference to us. Maybe you're more math uh, inclined than I am and you can get it. But if you take Texas, right? I've never been to Texas, but I hear it's big. You know, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. But if you take silver dollars, you know, it's a little bigger than a quarter, a little bigger than JFK, and you fill them up two feet high across all of Texas, and you mark one of them, and you throw it into the pile of silver dollars in Texas, the odds of you finding that one is 10 to the 17th, is one in one one with 17 zeros. And that's just just for eight prophecies. So for you being, for you to be the Messiah, you'd have to go in there and boop, pick out that one silver dollar blindfolded from anywhere in the middle of Texas. One chance, that's it. And that's just for eight. For 16 of the prophecies, if you're following me, think of a sphere of silver dollars. So you make a big ball of silver dollars from the center of the earth to um, 30 times the distance to the sun or 15 times larger than the Earth's orbit. So somewhere between Uranus and Pluto, if my math is correct here, based on the numbers they provided. Think about that. Silver dollar is somewhere between here and Pluto. You know, we just got a spacecraft to Pluto. We just got some pictures. We finally kind of know what it looks like. Think about silver dollars, that whole way there. (laughs) That whole way there. You mark one of them, you shake the whole thing up somehow, go in and pick it out. That's one in 16 prophecies. That's only twice the amount of prophecies here. 16 of Jesus fulfilling them and the probability of him being that. Um, well, now if we take it up to 48 prophecies, I can't get a number of silver dollars that big. But what he says is that it's 1 in 10 to the 157th. So now think of a 1 with 157 zeros. 
Now, this is a number way beyond comprehension because, on the other hand, the number of fundamental elements in the universe, quarks, electrons, photons, you know, if you have us, you zoom in real close, you have cells. Within those cells, you have molecules. Within those cells, you have atoms. Within those atoms, you have different particles like photons and electrons. And within those, you have others called quarks. So you get really, really tiny there. Uh, look up this video, Powers of 10. It's, it's really interesting. Um, but the only amount of those things in the entire observable universe, so they say, is only 10 to the 80th or 10 to the 85th. So Jesus fulfilling 48 out of 350-something prophecies is much larger than the observable universe, many times larger than the observable universe. So the, the fact is here, you know, is that the reality of Jesus is more real than our reality. He's more real than our reality, guys. We can't even come up with the odds to figure out um, what it would take for one person to fulfill this. You're never going to win this lottery. You know, sometimes people get lottery tickets at Christmas. You know, you get $25 for lottery tickets, and you get $2 back. I saw a joke online where someone put $2 in a card, said, I bought you $25 for the lottery tickets and scratched them off, and here's what you want. And that's what they gave them. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. But more than all reality, guys, and I love the way Colossians 1.17 says it in NLT, that he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. That our numbers, our math, our comprehension can't even come close. Basically, that what that number means is that there's zero probability of anyone else ever being the Messiah, ever fulfilling these prophecies. And that, to me, says the Bible's true. God is true. Um, you know, there's some other quotes I have in here in the notes, but I'm going to skip uh, for time. Let's go on. Verse 39. Oops, I'm in chapter 2 already. We're not that far. 39. Now Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered to the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the, uh, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. You know, John the Baptist knew Jesus in the womb. says that he was filled with his Holy Spirit all the days. That's something we've never seen in the scriptures before. But if this little baby in the womb knew who Jesus was, I think it's obvious to us who Jesus is. You know, I remember showing uh, Mia ultrasounds of Jacob, and she would say, It's a baby. It's a baby. I'm like, that's absolutely right. You're smarter than most of America at this point. That there's a baby in there. You know, it said that this, the name of the baby to be born would be holy is his name. Holy is his name. And man, I think people take Jesus' name in vain today, and they don't even realize it. But I know that they take it in vain because there's a power there. There's a holiness there. People don't walk around and stuff their toe and go, oh, Muhammad. You know, <laughs> oh, Buddha. Oh, Al Gore. You know, I don't know what they say. But because there's no real power in those names. But there's a power in Jesus' name. Let's go on and, and pick it up in verse 67. Uh, now, the father, uh, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, I skipped over all this other area for time. You can go back and read it. But Mary sings to the Lord. She sings about how God has blessed her because she knows that God is the one. She knows that she's not holy in and of herself. Um, but verse 67 says, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, which through the day spring from on high has visited us, to give us light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of the manifestation of Israel. We see that uh, the promises of God are about to come true. And this, this cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, is here as we see that John the Baptist says later on that he's to make straight the ways of the Lord, the paths of the Lord, that God was sending John the Baptist to be the messenger in a sense of Jesus' birth, but in the sense of Jesus' coming to, to lay out the path and prepare the people for the long-awaited uh, Messiah. You know, we know that God is, uh, Jesus is the answer to God's promise all the way back in Genesis 3 when God promised at the fall of man that the son of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that promise is coming true that Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew that he was going to be born uh, before anything began. The, the, the coming of him, the, the crucifixion of him, and the death and resurrection of him wasn't a, um, an oh-no moment of God. It wasn't God going, oh, great, Adam and Eve sinned. <laughs> what are we going to do now? Hold on, guys. You, go, you guys go in timeout, and we're going to go over and figure out what to do. No, they knew what was going to happen. They knew that if they were going to create man, that man was going to fall, and Jesus would have to come and do this. Um, but they wanted to. God wanted to. Gen- uh, let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was uh, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, uh, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up uh, from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Uh, I don't know, I've never been pregnant, but I'm sure if you've been pregnant, you might say, man, you know, we think of the baby being delivered, but it's really the wife, the mother being delivered from the child. Um, but she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Uh, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. And you will find a babe wrapped in a swallowing cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You know, the census, they still do it today. You know, a few years ago, they were doing the census, and I started looking into how to become a census taker uh, as like a second job. And um, I never uh, really went through with it. It just, I couldn't do it with my schedule. But that's what they were doing. You know, it was a government ordination to keep track of all the people, and they had to go do it. But what did God see? You know, these, these rulers thought they were in power, thought they were going to be able to count all the people and control the population. But God says, oh, yeah, I'm going to use that to get Mary and Joseph where I want them to be to fulfill this prophecy about my son being born. Because God knows the future ahead of time, gang. God knows exactly what's going to happen um, to use it. But you see, again, this kingly line, this, the son of David, you know, with that there's no room at this inn. You know, I asked, where were you born? You know, where are my kids born? We made sure the hospital was good and clean. There turned out to be some issues with the hospital afterwards. But no way would I would want my daughter to be born in a stable. No way would I. There's not enough antibiotic in the world, you know, for the clean up that stable. But that's where God's son was born. You know, he can relate to each and every one of us that his, his birth conditions um, were not exactly pleasant. Um, you know, good tidings, great joy. You know, I don't know, if someone has a new baby, it's their first baby, they make you like put on pounds of <laughs> cleaning and masks and all this stuff. I had to wear two face masks when Jacob was born to cover my beard. You know, I think there's a cow, you know, chewing the cud right there. And Jesus is born. I mean, think about it. It's crazy. Um, but good tidings and great joy. And, you know, births usually bring a lot of joy into people's lives. They should, no matter what. But Jesus' birth brought great joy. These shepherds went out. And these shepherds were happy. These shepherds were telling people about what was going on. And the sign was that there's a babe lying in a major. That these prophecies about something that happened being fulfilled became the signs. That, hey, look, this prophecy was spoken. But the sign now is that there's a baby lying in a major. That when we set up that uh, the manger scene in our houses. And, well, we used to be able to set it up in public places. Now it's kind of hard to do that. But it's a sign of the reality that Jesus was born. And the people praise God. You know, God didn't talk to people for 400 years. And now he can't stop talking to everybody. He's sending his angels to, to greet shepherds. You know, where did, they, where did the angels go? Did the angels go to the high priest? Did the angels go to the temple? No, they went to shepherds. God says, I want everybody to know. Go to the highways and byways. Tell everybody that my son Jesus is here. Because it's not just for the elite. It's for everybody. Let's go on. Let's see if we can get some more before we close out here. It says, 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when, these days, uh, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, 
Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, whoa, and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was uh, one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was a great age and had lived in a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about uh, 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him uh, to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of, of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We see that, you know, that there's this name, Jesus, and it's important. You know, a name is very important. It can really be our definition. You know, we name Mia and Jacob with purpose, with reason. Um, we believe that the Lord gave us the names for our children. We prayed about their names. We didn't just pick a popular name, even though it turns out the names are pretty popular. And I'm finding out. But that we sought the Lord for the names. And Jesus' name is God is salvation. God is with us. You know, this guy says that he's, the, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And again, that's not the consolation prize. That's not, oh, we gave out all the prizes, here's the door prize for you. But really, it's a calling near, a summons, especially for help, a comfort, a solace. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit being the paraclete, the one who comforts us and comes alongside us. And that's who Jesus is. And even here, it's spoken of to the Gentiles. That this one being born, fulfilling Jewish prophecy, what does this guy say in the temple? To the Gentiles. To the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles. That's amazing. That's amazing. This uh, older woman, Anna, too, who has served and served God um, and was willing to do so all day and every day. But it says that the grace was upon Jesus. Grace of God was upon Jesus, that he is the grace of God come manifested to us. He didn't come to judge us, but to bring grace to us. Um, and man, that's the grace. That's, the, that's what we can find. That's the greatest gift that we can find, is that Christmas is not a story. But it's, you know, you've probably heard this many times. It's history. It's his story. It's not that old Michael Jackson album, but it's his story. You know, and that there's a story to your birth and mine and everyone else's. But Christmas is the most important birth. You know, we were telling our kids about Christmas, that it's Jesus' birthday. And some people saying happy birthday, Jesus, on Christmas. And I get it. I don't, I don't, some people in my family do it. You know, I get it, but I don't know that I, I feel like it's necessarily appropriate to, uh, treat the savior in such a way but i get it you know it is his birthday and we do need to remember that um for time we're not going to read it but if you think of it turn to john 3 and read it um on your own 1 through 21 we'd all be very familiar with this but this is really kind of pointing us to what uh the need for jesus is that we might be born again that we might live forever with him that jesus was born why that we might be born again you know, verse 17 and 18 in John 3, For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved, and that he who believes is not condemned. You know, that, that God sent Jesus not coming here to, to beat us up, but to give us a way out of that judgment that was coming. That God sent a way of grace before He sends judgment. You know, you think of when we go and we, we bomb another country, or we have to attack another country, we send out leaflets first. We let people know because we don't want to, you know, whether it's for political reasons one way or the other, but we let people know that man, we're coming in and we're going to bomb, so you kind of want to get out. 
And whether that's good or bad, that's kind of a, a hard argument because then the enemy runs too. But really that this, this idea of grace and mercy comes first and then comes the judgment. And that's the way God is. But Romans 10, uh, Romans 5, 10 through 21, uh, again, we won't read it to the time, but it says that when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Um, and he goes on, but he says the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, Adam, that's Adam's offense, much more the grace of God and by the gift of grace, the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. That just like Adam sinned and brought sin upon us all, Jesus' death and righteousness brings righteousness upon us all. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, yeah, man, when we sin, we earn something from that. You know, when we sin, we earn what comes down the line from it. You know, you eat chocolate all day, every day, and you never brush your teeth. You kind of earned going to the dentist. You earned those dentures. You earned those other things, you know, genetics and other factors aside. Um, in the same way, we can't earn God's free gift. Jesus earned it for us on the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn a gift. If we give each other gifts, sometimes we feel like we have to give a gift because someone else is going to give us a gift and we have to earn that gift and this whole like back and forth. And I get it. But I think we're the same way with God that we kind of have to make something up to him. We kind of have to live our lives rightly before God's going to give us a gift. Or we have to go out and, and do certain things and serve in certain ways for his favor to be upon us. And that's not how it works, gang. You know, what do my kids have to do to get gifts from me? <laughs> nothing just be my kids all they had to do was be born and they get gifts you know all they had to do was be born and they get gifts from me. it's the same way with us if we want to receive gifts of god all we have to do is be born again and say god i, I want your gift that's it just like mia before service like daddy i want to open my gift now <laughs> i want it right now that's that's all we need to be with the lord is i just want your gift now i don't have to earn it i don't have to wait i'm just telling her to wait so it's not craziness and pandemonium and it can be a nice time to open the gift you know, God's gift to the world is Jesus, and God's gift to us individually is also Jesus. You know, in that we have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. You know, we can't buy that in the story. You know, I was asking my wife yesterday, you know, what does she want for Christmas? She's like, I just want love. I'm like, well, I can't buy that on Amazon for you. <laughs> you know, I can't go to the store and buy it. You might try. You might try. But thankfully, you know, my wife doesn't equate those things with love because I couldn't afford it. Um, but man, you know, Christmas. Christmas. Let's not miss Jesus this year on Christmas. I know that's a cheesy pun, but really, as we go about, we give gifts, we do these good things, we bless people, we receive blessings, we spend time together, we eat muffins, we go to church, we do whatever we do on Christmas. Let's not miss um, Jesus in it. Let's remember that he's real and that he loves us and that even if we can't afford to give gifts, then it doesn't matter because um, we have the greatest gift of all. Amen. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that you are real, and that, God, you are the greatest gift, that, God, uh, we don't have to feel obligated to give back to you when you give something to us, when you give us grace and mercy, but, God, we want to give back to you. We want to serve you. We want to be like Anna, who's in the temple after uh, losing her husband and serving you in prayer and fasting, God. May we be serving you in these things. Help us to pray more. Help us to fast if we need to fast. Help us to give gifts or love people or be forgiving to family members this Christmas or help us to share with our coworkers, God, not because you've given us a gift and we feel obligated to give something to you, but because we love you, because we've been so astounded like those shepherds you showed up to. But Lord, thank you for coming to us and being with us. And God, may you, may your gift go out even more this year. May not one person miss an opportunity to come to you. 
uh, this Christmas. And we love you, God. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.